0: always great to celebrate the Lord's table. We've been looking at some of the prophecies that are leading up to the uh, Messiah, to the first advent, and what is going on. One of the most significant prophecies, and what uh, Jesus says is the sign, has to do with the third day. Now, there's actually a singing group named Third Day that does some great Christian music that I I love out there, and they're... uh, uh, They they sure got given a gospel to a whole lot of people. You might not like their music, some of us old people. Uh, You might not prefer it and would rather have the gathers and all that. I personally like most all of it, even some Christian rap. (laughs) Some, (laughs) being the operative word. But this prophecy about the third day, is so important and there's so much that hangs on it. What is what is the third day all about? Where did it come from? Now, why and why pay attention to it? Well, Jesus told the disciples about it more than once. And the question is how did he do it and when did he do it? Now, over the years, just some opening comments, I've had several discussions with pastors whose hermeneutic will only permit an interpretation that allows the writer or giver a scripture or prophecy and the hearer to have fully understood it when it's initially given. In other words, they think that that initial ter- interpretation has to have a full understanding of the one speaking and the one hearing. Okay, I disagree with that, and I will show you why. I believe that hermeneutic, which is, they often call it the science of biblical interpretation. It's actually, the way I was taught it, the science and art of biblical interpretation. It's not a science. If it was a science, you could teach artificial intelligence how to understand the Bible. It's not a science. It's not a science. It is a spiritual thing. And there is a science because it has rules and principles that goes with it. But it's called an art because how you apply those rules and principles is what is so very important. And that is led by the Holy Spirit, I believe, for understanding. So what they're trying to say is, if, if Isaiah said this, what did the hearers understand when Isaiah spoke it? Or what would they have understood First of all, we're not there. We weren't there. Couldn't have been there. Okay? So, what did they understand? We don't know. What should they have understood? We can read that and kind of say that. But then, whenever you start looking at the Scripture, how do you interpret it? Well, you look to Scripture to teach you hermeneutics. Like the parable of the sower. He taught his disciples. and He said, I want you to learn this. Manthano is the word that he uses there, to learn as a disciple. The only parable, he said, learn as a disciple. And then he says, you learn this because then you'll be able to interpret all the parables. So whenever he taught the parable of the sower and the four soils, he was teaching them parabolic interpretation. What are the rules of interpreting parables? And in doing that, he, he... taught some very important principles that are to be applied to all the parables, the 35 or so, that, that he taught. Now, here's another example. This is the book of Jonah. And I challenge any of them to try and explain the book of Jonah as a prophecy of the Messiah from internal evidence. Internal evidence means what does the four chapters say? What does the exegesis say? What are you going through? What internal evidence can you come up with and say, Jonah is about the Messiah? I, I want to see it. I have been taught the book of Jonah several times. I haven't seen it. What I'm able to do is look at the New Testament and go, hey, it's got Messianic overtones <laughs> to it. But What about, who did he write it to? He gave it to the Jews. Who did he give the prophecies to? Assyrians. Jonah, see, was the one swallowed by the fish. We all know the the story. Spit up on the beach. He didn't want to go where God wanted him to go. And so he, he got on a ship, headed the other direction. The lot came to him to be tossed overboard, which they did. And he spent three days and three nights in the belly of the fish. That's what happened to, to Jonah. Now, how would we ever know that that is a prophecy dealing with the Son of Man? What it appears to be is just the historical story of what happened to Jonah. Okay? Now, Jonah is only mentioned one other time outside of the book of Jonah in Second Kings. And it tells us that he was the son of Amittai and he was a prophet. So there's no additional help outside of the book of of Jonah. Only Jesus mentions him in the New Testament. And he tells us that it was a sign. The sign of the prophet Jonah. Now, this is not a license to just take any narrative like Jonah and turn it into a great prophetic story. That's how allegory comes about. But what it does say is that it's a reminder that sometimes our hermeneutical rules are still subject to the teacher and the prophet, like unto Moses, Jesus. Sound doctrine comes through the words of Jesus Christ. So if he said it was a sign and a prophecy, it's exactly what it is. But how many originally got the book of Jonah and understood it was a messianic prophecy? Probably zero. Probably not even Jonah. Now. There are passages like Daniel 12.4. That says certain things are sealed up. Namely not to be understood. Until the right time it is ready to be fulfilled. That's what happened with Jonah. What you had was the whole group of prophets. From. You go back to Elijah, whoever you want to go back to, Samuel. And when Jonah was written in the 800s, Jonah was... was, uh, They knew it was a canonical book because the prophets are the ones that made the determination. Do we accept this as canonical or not? And the answer was yes because there's never any doubt or question about whether Jonah should be included in the canon of Scripture or not. So the prophets that God had given said... This is, this is canonical, so it's important we need to keep it. It's a good object lesson. It's a good idea, a good thing to learn. And when we want to go another direction from what God's got for us, then probably we shouldn't do it. I had a guy tell me one time, say, I want you to take this position at the job. It was a carpet store. I want you to take this position. And I'd finish seminary, and he said, uh, well... And I told him, I said, well, you know, if if, if I get called to a church, I'm going to church. I can't give you a one-year commitment. Sorry. And he said, what do you mean? I said, I don't want to be swallowed by a fish. <laughs> he was a Jew. <laughs> he didn't have a clue who I was talking about. And so I, I asked him, I said, You go to synagogue every week, don't you? Because you don't eat sausage on Saturdays. Okay? You don't know who Jonah is? Well, it was a seed planted. We were still friends after that. But in any event, sometimes they just don't pay any attention. Now, what is the sign of the prophet Jonah? It indicates Messiah shall spend three days and three nights in the heart of the earth okay where does it come from the only place jesus mentions it matthew 12 38 to 41 when you when i put an ampersand that little and sign in there it means it's a parallel passage okay that's how i denote in the gospels that these are parallel passages they'll frequently won't be word for word but they will have some additional information that oftentimes one might have and the other might not have now <clears throat> A lot of us, early on, were taught that Jesus was in the tomb for a full 72 hours. Three days and three nights. As it says, three days and three nights. But to the Jews, a partial day was counted as a day, and a partial night was counted as a night. Okay, So he didn't have to be in there 72 hours. If he would have been in there 72 hours, he had been raised on the fourth day. Not the third. And the prophecies are all about the third day. So that has to be where our interpretation lies. In Matthew 28, some of the scribes and the Pharisees answered him saying, Teacher, we want to see a sign from you. And he answered and said to them, An evil and adulterous generation craves for a sign, yet no sign shall be given it, to it but the sign of Jonah the prophet. For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the sea monster, so shall the Son of the Man, that's a title of Messiah, be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh will stand up with this generation at the judgment and condemn it, because they repented at the preaching of Jonah. And behold, something greater... Then Jonah is here. The same thing is said basically in Luke chapter 11. Except he adds the queen of the south, which is the queen that came to meet Solomon. And basically saying right there, hey, she became a believer. Solomon led her to the Lord. So we might get to meet her, says, but then he closes, someone greater than Solomon is here. Even so, who is the one greater than it's the Lord Himself above all powers, above all kings, above all nature and all created things, above all wisdom and all the thoughts of man? He was here before the world began, Messiah three days, three nights. But to understand the way the Jews thought, a partial day was counted as a day now. <clears throat> The truth becomes clear when the signs are read correctly. When you read them correctly. This is Matthew 16. I love this passage, especially especially good for Oklahoma. <laughs> Matthew 16, the Pharisees and the Sadducees came up and they tested him to show them a sign from heaven. Okay? Sound typical? Matthew 12, what do they want? Sign. What do you give them? Sign of Jonah. 16, they come up. But he answered and said to them, When it is evening, you say, it will be fair weather, because the sky is red, and in the morning there will be a storm today, for the sky is red and threatening. Do you not know how to discern the appearance of the sky? But you can't discern... The signs of the times. Now look at Oklahoma with all of our storm chasers. And boy, we can discern when it's going to happen, how it's going to spin up, we think. And God throws a monkey wrench in more of these than you care to even count. It's going to be clear tomorrow. There will be six inches of clear on the ground <laughs> when the day is done. I mean, we've all seen that more than more than once, right? He says, do you, not, do you know how to discern the appearance of the, sun, the sky but cannot discern the signs of the times? First advent. It's what he's challenging him on right there. He says, an evil and adulterous generation seeks after a sign and a sign will not be given it except the sign of Jonah. Brought it up again and he went away. Okay, So the truth becomes clear when the signs are read correctly. I know some people that won't accept anything that's going on today as having any kind of prophetic significance. And I find that amazing because they write books about the prophetic significance of what's going on today. And then on the other side of their mouth they say, but there are no such things as church age prophecy. Uh Uh-huh. Well, the fulfillments... Are certainly in the tribulation, no argument there. But when you have the phrase beginning of birth pangs, then you might look around and go, oh, there are wars, rumors of wars, famines, earthquakes scattered all over the planet. And people, and then they say, well, we can just measure them more now. There are more 5.0 earthquakes or greater. in the the 1900s and in the rest of history combined. And they say, that's because we have better tools. Sorry. Doesn't fly. Time-life books talked about measuring earthquakes in China in the 3rd century B.C. They had a way to set them up. They knew where it came from. They knew how strong they were. They often knew about things like the earthquake during the time of Amos. The, The eastern people knew about it before any travelers got there how did they do that they had a way of measuring them. more of those more wars I've got a book about yea thick on my shelf that lists every war ever recorded in ancient history on it you know there have been more wars in the, 19, in the 20th century the 1900's than all of the rest of history combined yeah that's proof but still no that's not prophecy it's the beginning of birth pangs for sure Without, without question now <clears throat> the truth becomes clear when the signs are read correctly I think one of the big signs now has to do with the fact Israel is back in the land because prophecies deal with Israel and it's all ready to go everything is set up I, the trumpet could sound tomorrow and everything that the, rat, that the trib needs is in place it's in place the next day so, the truth becomes clear when the signs are read correctly. Now, here are some reminders to the disciples about the third day. Because people say, well, Jesus didn't tell his disciples that what was going to happen. Well, I beg to differ with them. First mention, the disciples did not immediately accept his death and resurrection. They said, no. Now, this is, this is classic Peter. You know Peter the little rock. Matthew 16:21. From that time Jesus Christ began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem. Now I'm tracking down this this passage, and you can if you want to track some more stuff down. There's a study on the life of Christ online. You can download the thing, and it breaks things down by year one, year two, year three, and year four. Three complete years had happened. This is the start of the the fourth year, and he would only go through three and a half years of of his ministry. He says, Jesus began to show his disciples he must go to Jerusalem, suffer many things from the elders and chief priests, and scribes and be killed and be raised on the third day. And Peter took him aside. And the context of this, he asked Peter, who do you say I am? And Peter got it right. (laughs) One of the few things he ever got right. And so he said, okay Peter, I'll give you the keys of the King of Heaven and from there we get Roman Catholic Church and everything else. Anyway, Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Peter got a yes, uh, answered a question, yes, that's right. And then Peter got just as arrogant as arrogant gets. How do you take the Lord aside and say, you know, this is, you're not thinking right here. That's what he did. <laughs> began to rebuke him saying, God forbid it, Lord. This shall never happen to you. And he turned to Peter and he said, Get behind me, Satan. We all know that one, don't we? You're a stumbling block to me. Because you're not setting your mind on God's interest, but on man's interest. That's a very clear rebuke to Peter. Luke 9 is the parallel passage that comes along with that. And he asked, Who do you who the multitude say I am? They answered and they said, John the Baptist, others say Elijah. How could he be John the Baptist? I don't think John was dead yet. And everybody knows that John and Jesus were cousins to each other. And John's the one that said, Behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. Uh, They were contemporaneous. How could he be John the Baptist? That's how foolish people think at times. And he says, And others say Elijah. Okay, Elijah didn't die so Elijah is back from the dead and Elijah will come before the great and terrible day of the Lord they took some prophecy passages they put them all together wrong who, do you, who they say I am <laughs> and others say one of the prophets of old has risen again and he said to them who do you say I am and Peter answered and said the, the Messiah of God but he warned him and told him not to say anything to anyone. Why did he do that? <laughs> he said, A son of man must suffer many things, be rejected by the elders, and the chief priests, and the scribes, and be killed and be raised on the third day. That's more the context of telling him about the, the third day. Now, <clears throat> why would he tell him not to tell anybody? Well, it wasn't time yet the divine timing is all involved in this, but sometimes the best way to spread a rumor is tell people not to tell about it. You ever notice that? Something bad? The battle travel at the speed of light. That's just how fast it travels. It didn't even need the internet to do it. It traveled that fast in India without phones. And it The word of mouth would get around that fast. But that's the first mention, early on the fourth year. A little bit later is the second mention, and the disciples were grieved. See, different responses here. First of all, they didn't immediately accept his death, burial, and resurrection. Then the second time, he tells them, in Matthew 17, while they were gathering together in Galilee, Jesus said to them, the Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men. A title, Son of Man, comes right out of the book of Daniel. And when you see the title, Son of Man, you know, they know they're talking about Messiah. And he's saying, I'm the Son of Man, I'm Messiah. And he must be delivered in the hands of men. They will kill him. And he'll be raised on the third day. And they were deeply grieved. That's their response. Second time, we know of that they have heard, be raised on the third day. The third mention is they didn't understand what he meant. This is from Matthew 20. In Matthew 20, this is heading up to the they're traveling here to Jerusalem. They are en route to Jerusalem. And the Lord knows what is what's in front of him. And he says, as Jesus was about to go to Jerusalem. He took the twelve disciples aside by themselves, and on the way he said to them, Behold, we're going up to Jerusalem. And the Son of Man will be delivered to the chief priests and scribes. They'll condemn him to death. They will deliver him to the Gentiles. This is typical prophecy. It starts with a little prophecy, and it starts getting some flesh on it. Deliver him to the Gentiles, the Romans, to mock and scourge and crucify him. The Jews couldn't do it. The scepter departed from Judah. They had lost their right of capital punishment. Why was Satan continually trying to provoke the Jews to administer capital punishment on Jesus because that was only permitted under their law for stoning, not on a cross? The old devil would like nothing better than to see those Jews, and they picked up rocks multiple times, remember? To stone him. That's all they were permitted to do. But that would not have been the prophetic fulfillment. A couple of times he just walked through their midst. And they just stopped, laid down the stone. Whatever it was, we'll ask them when we get there for a replay of some of these events that went on. But he's telling them on the third day, he will be raised up. The third day once again. Now... <clears throat> After he was raised, he appeared to them and he reminded them of what he previously told them. <laughs> okay. So we know he told them at least three times. We know that they didn't accept it. We know that it grieved them one time. We know that it did not they didn't understand it. But then he went back. Luke 24 is closing out the book of Luke. And he says, he said to them... These are my words which I spoke to you while I was still with you and all the things which are written about me in the Law of Moses and the Prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. This is Jesus in resurrection body talking to his disciples. And if you track Luke 24, he just got done with the two disciples on the road to Emmaus. Okay, And they finally figured out, hey, this was, this was Jesus. And they went back into Jerusalem. He says, then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. Now, <clears throat> he's in the, this is the account of being in the upper room and Thomas being present at this point in time. The first time he appeared to the disciples, they weren't all there and Thomas, when they told him about it, doubted it. That's where he got doubting Thomas from. Thomas said I I don't believe it unless I put my hand in the wound unless I see those nails I am not going to believe so what did Jesus do he appeared to him again okay this time and the other accounts say and he went to Thomas here it is put your hand in okay check this out really happened I really died I have scars to prove it and I rose again and here I am Thomas didn't doubt any (laughs) more. He says, you're my witnesses. And this is the Luke account of the Great Commission. Then we get in Acts chapter 1, a better, uh, fuller description of it. I'm sending forth the promise of my Father upon you. That's the Holy Spirit. Stay in the city till you're clothed with power from on high. That's the Holy Spirit. That closes out the book of Luke. So here they are and he reminded them this is what I told you. And he opened their minds. How how'd that happen? Well the Holy Spirit's the one that opens minds. And there's an indication from another passage that they got the Holy Spirit a little bit earlier than the crowd in Acts chapter 2. Okay? Guess what? Now, I thought I'd get done with all this but I've been talking too much. So, But the third day, he would be raised on the third day. Sunday morning is the third day. Now we can track it back. Some people believe that he's crucified on Wednesday to allow for 72 hours in the tomb. I don't think that works. Some believe that he was crucified on Friday, and they call it Good Friday. But it's kind of hard to fit three days in unless you count the darkness of the three hours on the cross... As, another, as a night, and then another day after that. Thursday seems to be a pretty good option. But people do you talk about Thursday, and nobody wants to talk to you about it. But it seems that that's what accounts for all the stuff, because then Thursday, Friday, or in the tomb, Thursday, and then Friday, Saturday, and Sunday morning is the third day. So anyway, we'll deal with that more as we go through uh this this study let's pray Father again it's such an amazing blessing to be able to come together <clears throat> and celebrate once again the death burial and resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ and as mentioned the cross was just the end but it was for the beginning as we believe in Jesus Christ we are given new life we are made a new creation And that new creation will never die. And Father, with that, we can give you praise for all of eternity. And we're looking forward to that. Father, we pray that you would take this information that we've received here. Nourish our souls with it. So we indeed grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. In whose name we pray. And the congregation said, Amen.